Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A listener note. This podcast contains strong language and disturbing content. Marion Partington was living in Wales. It was 1994. She was a mother in her 40s and working as a homeopath. And I was just glancing at a newspaper and I saw this breaking news about three bodies being excavated in the garden of 25 Cromwell Street. Five days and five nights digging and forensic teams have now unearthed the remains of three people under the stone patio of this Gloucester home. Something just struck me. I don't know, it, maybe it was because it was Gloucester, it wasn't too far away. Something resonated and when I got back from work I phoned my mum and she said yes, already the press had been in touch with her because they'd been scanning the missing persons list and Lucy was on that. Two decades earlier, in 1973, they were both university students back home for Christmas in the Cotswolds near Gloucester. The day after Boxing Day, Lucy visited a friend for the evening. She was meant to catch the bus home, but she never returned. Obviously, we reported that Lucy was missing and she was desperately searched for for seven years. But after that... There wasn't, I don't know what, you know, nothing happened. You know, it was just, that was it. In spring 1994, with the dig in Gloucester starting to make news, the family wondered if they should get back in touch with the police. On March the 4th, which was Lucy's birthday, I went to visit my mum and by that time they, they had the identities of the three women in the garden... My mum had phoned them up and said, you know, is this anything to do with Lucy? And they said, no, we know the identities, um, but we'll, we'll be in touch if there's anything else we need to say. And I just had this sense of unease. Marion heard on the radio that one of the victims had gone missing in the early 70s, which was when her 21-year-old sister also disappeared. The report mentioned that the West had a connection to Bishop's Cleave. That was a nearby village where Rose West's parents lived, and it was on Lucy's bus route. All these years later, Marion was filled with dread that the mystery of her sister's disappearance was finally about to be solved. And then the Saturday morning, I was getting ready to drive home, and the police phoned up and said they wanted to come over. They had some news for us. And these two young policemen turned up. And I remember noticing details like Russell had a scar on his face and a red tie. And 
the other young policemen had very highly polished brown shoes. You know, it was just like shock was kicking in already. Details become etched in your mind. And they said that Frederick West had been talking to them. There were five more young women in the basement and one of them was called Lucy. From something else, this is Unheard, the Fred and Rose West tapes. Episode 11, Sister. I'm Howard Soons. I covered the West case as a journalist and wrote the book Fred and Rose. The Wests are among Britain's most notorious serial killers. Everybody knows their names. Sadly, the people they killed are often almost forgotten. We've heard how only half of these 12 women and girls were reported missing to the police. Some families presumed they just started a new life elsewhere. Also, most families chose not to speak to the media. We heard earlier in the series from the family of Juanita Mott, but to this day, relatively little has emerged about other women, such as Carol Ann Cooper, Shirley Hubbard and Therese Siegenthaler. It's not that Lucy Partington's story is more important than any others, but we do know more about her. Lucy Partington came from a middle-class background. Her father was an industrial chemist and her mother worked as an architect. One of Lucy's uncles was the novelist Sir Kingsley Amos, and as a child she played with his son, Martin, who also became a famous writer. Lucy's parents were separated, but she had a more fortunate life than most. It's not just Lucy's background that sets her apart. It also has to do with the way her sister responded to her death. Marion has made it her mission to tell Lucy's story and give her sister a voice. I couldn't bear the label, victims or perpetrators. I always like to sort of reclaim someone as a person in their own right, and especially Lucy. In reclaiming Lucy, Marion had to confront the horror of what happened to her sister. It was a long and difficult process that led her towards something almost unthinkable, forgiveness for the Wests. To find out how Marianne achieved this, we need to go back to the early 70s when Lucy was still alive. One of her friends described her as indelible. She did have this effect on people of her being rather a, you know, sort of quirky, unique individual. And I remember her making me this little bag when she was eight and I was 12. She'd obviously read somewhere about the weaving process and she'd actually gathered all this sheep's wool off her hedges and teased it out with thorns snapped off a rose bush and pushed through cardboard to purify the wool and then she'd spun a wonky wobbly thread with a handmade spindle and then she gave it to me. So it's something tangible that expresses her. Marion still treasures that handmade bag she was four years older than Lucy, but the sisters were close. They often talked about poetry. 
she loved the medieval period and that's what she'd hoped on to, to go on and study. And the night she was abducted, she actually had a letter of application to the Courtauld Institute of Art for a postgraduate course in medieval studies. Lucy was a serious, scholarly person, not one to follow trends. You know, she used to walk around in her brown duffel coat with her desert boots, which was actually, the desert boots were quite fashion conscious. <laughs> and she did go through a phase of wearing a mini skirt, but not for long. But she definitely hadn't, as far as I know, you know, had any relationships with men. She was what was described as chaste, which is true. She had actually also become religious. She chose to become a Catholic in November 1973, five weeks before she was murdered. On the night she went missing, Lucy was visiting her friend. And her friend remembers very clearly and told the police in the investigations when after Lucy had gone missing, you know, what she'd had in her bag... She was carrying her letter of application to the courthold and a Victorian jar Marion had given her for Christmas. And she had this medieval book, this text called Pearl, which is, comes from the medieval dream vision genre. She left her friend's Helen's house to walk to the Evesham Road to catch the bus, and it was quite a lonely bus stop. It was actually where we used to catch the bus every evening to go home from our school and that particular night it was very dark because there were miners strikes at the time so the the lighting was off there was a post box on the way to the bus stop the letter wasn't posted and she didn't get the bus Fred was probably driving past and spotted Lucy at the bus stop. Unlike some of the women who went missing, Lucy didn't have a history of hitchhiking. She was far too cautious. Fred must have persuaded her to get into the car. Rose may have been in the passenger seat. We know from her trial that she accompanied Fred to make him seem less threatening as they cruised the streets looking for young women. Maybe one of the children was also in the car. Their firstborn son, Steve, would have been a baby. The exact circumstances remain a mystery. She didn't arrive home. How, how did you first um, discover that? Well, the next morning, because I was out with my boyfriend that night and stayed with friends, and then I came home and my mum rushed out of the house and said Lucy didn't come home last night. In panic, I guess. Yes, in terrible panic. Mum had gone in to wake her up because everyone had come in later than the, the, than the bus would have arrived home, so presumed she'd just gone to bed to discover that she wasn't there. And one of my brothers was swearing and, you know, saying he'd kill anybody who, you know, interfered with her. He immediately went to that place, whereas I didn't. And the police had been informed, but they didn't seem to be taking it too seriously. And then eventually someone did come over and talk to us and realised that Lucy wasn't the kind of person who was going to put her family in the situation of 
just going off and not telling them where she'd gone. Missing posters were put up. Lucy's disappearance was widely reported with appeals for information. The police staged a reconstruction of her last journey and divers searched rivers, but she wasn't found dead or alive. Twenty-one years passed. I think all of us sort of couldn't quite stop looking for her. Yeah, as you work. <laughs> yes. So you look in supermarkets, yeah. you can well, you the don't, street. You know, you're just always on, there's something in you that's, that remains on alert, yeah. I think. There were some false sightings. One of Marion's brothers could have sworn he saw Lucy on the London Underground. Marion tried to get on with her life. She graduated, married and had a family of her own. But of course, she never stopped thinking about her missing sister. I felt very sort of isolated because in a way you do lose your parents in these situations, not, you know, temporarily, but, you know, if the parents are preoccupied with grief and loss, they're not there for you in the same way. Was Lucy's room kept as it was? Yes, and, yeah. and in the house, you know, my mum, all her things from Exeter University had to be brought back eventually and they were you know all her her notes her essays her books her clothes and kept because yeah, of course there was a, of course a, f- a feeling that I, I presume she could suddenly yeah well walk, that walk was back you see that was the, the difficulty was that you know if you s- nobody wanted to say she must be dead because it would be awful if she suddenly came back and my daughter actually who never met her had this whole fantasy that we'd be sitting in this lovely room the sunroom where we used to have big family meals and she'd come walking across the drive you know carrying all these bags coming back the night lucy disappeared she was carrying the book pearl that poem stayed with marion and got into her dreams and in the dream um she came back and um, and I asked her where she'd been and she said, I've been sitting in a water meadow. In the dream, she said the words, if you sit very still, you can hear the sun move. And I, I had this sense that if she was dead or if she was alive, on a certain level, it didn't matter if that was the place she was in. So that was like a sort of anchor for me and it felt so real Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Two decades after she went missing, in March 1994, Gloucestershire police confirmed to her family that Lucy Partington was one of the women buried at 25 Cromwell Street. Journalists were calling. The Partingtons weren't ready to tell them their story, but the news was impossible to escape. I was remember I was sitting in the hairdressers and... Um... And it came on in the news, talking about Cromwell Street, etc. And the hairdresser said to me, isn't it terrible, all these goings-on in Gloucester? And I just sort of gulped and said yes. But thought, does she really want to know? So you're kind of living with this terrible news that you know is going to shock people, it's going to change their relationship with you in a way. They're not going to see you the same way. Lucy's skull was identified in Cardiff by forensic dentist Dr David Whittaker. It's believed that the West may have kept Lucy tied up and captive in their cellar for up to a week before she died. There were many details that shocked me profoundly and um, one of them was the detail about Lucy being gagged and realising that she couldn't use her voice She'd lost her language, she'd lost her intellectual, emotional identity as a young woman. She'd just become flesh and bones for the gratification of, of others. Marianne kept a diary during this time. In one entry she wrote, I must find the courage to go on and face the worst kind of death imaginable and somehow try to understand it. I was very struck by what happened when you actually encountered Lucy's remains. Yes, well, that came from a dream as well, actually. In the dream, I wanted to know what was left of her and and the pathologist pointed to a pink sack in the corner of the room and I looked in the sack and it was full of bones. In the dream, it became a full-size skeleton and I wanted to put my arms round this skeleton and in the dream it became Lucy in flesh and I remembered what she was like to hold so I woke up with this thought well where are her remains the dream encouraged Marion to ask to see her sister's remains 
because at that point it had all been about boxes coming out of Cromwell Street covered in black cloths. Marion travelled to a morgue in Cardiff, near to the laboratories of forensic experts David Whitaker and Bernard Knight, who had identified all 12 victims from their bones and their teeth. Our liaison officer met us there and showed us into this chapel of rest and there was this full-size coffin and they said, under a nice purple tasseled cloth and said, you know, do you sit here as long as you like and then we'll go and have a cup of coffee. And I said, no, I haven't come here for this. You know, I've got some special things I want to actually put in with Lucy's bones two little soft toys from childhood and her snuggler, her little blanket that my mum had kept. And he looked a bit sort of, oh, don't worry about that, Marion, we'll we'll do that for you. And I, you know, this whole business of protecting people from things that feel important and maybe inexplicable to most people. But um, for me, it was probably the most profound thing I've ever done in my life. Here was this box. It had a number on JR4. It was like a box that I kept my files in, and there it was, full of Lucy's bones. And then there was the smaller box that had her skull. I was able to do various things about bringing beauty into the jumble of bones. and wrapping her skull and kissing her skull and recognising the shape of her head. This was real. Yes, I can now see that Lucy did die and this is what's left of her and we need to lay these remains to rest. A few months after visiting the morgue, Marion returned from a New Year's Eve party to hear that Fred West had taken his own life. People used to say, didn't I feel cheated? But that didn't sort of seem to come into it, really. My initial thought, I remember feeling it was a sort of divine justice. You know, it was like, oh, good, I don't, won't have to look at him now. I won't have to see him. But Marianne did see Rose. She attended the committal hearing at Dursley Magistrates Court to find out about her sister's death before the details became public. Initially, Marianne couldn't match the nondescript figure of Rose West in court with the heinous allegations. I did feel that she had a lot of anger. She really was kind of blank emotionally in many ways and she was mostly just pushing her spectacles up her nose but she did have this rather threatening glare occasionally. Later that year, Rose was found guilty on ten counts of murder and sentenced to life imprisonment. But Marion's grief endured. She couldn't make sense of the extreme cruelty of Fred and Rose and she was angry about what they did to her sister. 
you know, I had this sort of feeling of despair. Is this going to ever going to go away? Is this going to carry on for the rest of my life? It was all getting too much. I I started to go on silent Buddhist retreats and learn a particular meditation practice. In June 1995, Marianne decided to go on a retreat in Wales. It was there that she came to a decision. And I realised that there were like four ways of dealing with it. One of them was to, to try and deny it, which, you know natural but doesn't work forever Um, one of them was about dumping it on others and the kind of most extreme form of that would be murder another was let it corrode you and the most extreme expression of that would be suicide and the only way out and I don't know where it came from was this sense that if moving towards forgiveness, but I had no idea what that meant, how one could do it, but it was just a taste of something that was freeing, that was potentially liberating. So I kind of made this vow to try and forgive the West. To many people, this attempt at forgiveness might seem unfathomable, The West, after all, had murdered Marion's sister for their sexual gratification. The family had to wait years to find out what had happened before discovering the worst possible news. Then Fred told the police a tissue of lies, an obscene fantasy about how he said he knew Lucy. This word forgiveness didn't was rather meaningless. It doesn't didn't have a meaning. But a, a word that did ha- seem to have a meaning came more from the Buddhist path, which was compassion. Some people, of course don't agree with this somebody said well it's not your place to some I mean, some people don't uh, uh, like this idea at all do they no i completely understand that and accept that everybody's got their own way and but this is what's come to me and i'm also aware that you know it's offensive to some people and it's been and it has hurt some people so That's a very difficult place to be in, and I had to make a choice about that. Throughout her life, Marianne has explored various beliefs, including Church of England Christianity, Quakerism and Buddhism. Marianne went on Buddhist retreats where she contemplated her grief and rage over Lucy. On one of these retreats in 1999, she confided in a monk, telling him that these feelings wouldn't go away. He said... Just know that your suffering is helping to relieve the suffering of others. And I didn't really know what he meant by that, but I went back to sit on my cushion and half-heartedly I said to myself, I thought of Rosemary West, who of course I've never met apart from seen, but I've never engaged with her in any way. Um, But I had this image of her in prison for the rest of her life, hated by the majority of people in our country demonised 
And I just said half-heartedly, I said, well, I hope what I'm feeling is helping you in some way. Marion kept returning to these thoughts about Rose West. Four years later, she was on another retreat in Switzerland. It snowed for three days and I'd gone for a walk and my shoulder had brushed against a tree laden and down to the ground with snow and when I my shoulder brushed the tree the the branch sprang back to where it was meant to be and I sort of felt like it was quite a sort of visual vibrant image you know maybe it would spark something off Marion took a photograph of the branch and decided in the moment to send it to Rose West in prison I just had this sense that it was time to write to her because, and this is part of the story that I think a lot of people really couldn't understand and I can only take it back to some Buddhist teachings that I came across. I began to realise that I wouldn't have been feeling the depth of compassion I'd experienced if... Lucy hadn't been murdered by the Wests. So I kind of had this flash of a sense of gratitude almost, which sounds really terrible, but it was the feeling. I felt this need that Rosemary West should somehow feel that something that possibly was helpful to other people that was happening through my life had come out of her action, that she wasn't quite so remote in all this. She included a letter. It said, I am sending you these words in the hope that they may help you in some way. Please know that I do not feel any hostility towards you, just a sadness, a deep sadness that all this has happened and that your heart could not feel a truth that I wish you could know. Our lives are connected and I am sending you the spring of the branch as a token of hope. May you be less burdened by fear. I wanted to say that, you know, I, I didn't that I didn't wish her ill. I didn't say I've forgiven you, but I wanted her to know that, you know, there was one person in the world who had every right to despise and hate and demonise her, who had actually had a sense of her as a human being and wanted to express some sort of connection with that and and offer some token of hope. I didn't send it for four more years because I kind of felt like I didn't want to have any expectations about having a reply. Um, And then I woke up one morning and I thought, if Rosemary West, if I heard she died in prison today and I didn't hadn't sent this letter off, I'd always regret it because it was like a seed of hope. I was offering a seed of hope. I just felt I'd done what I could. 
Um, Marion received a reply in July 2008, not from Rose West, but from the prison. It said, Dear Marion Partington, Mrs West has received your letter and asked me to relay a message on her behalf and ask that you please cease all correspondence. She does not wish to receive any further letters from you. Any further letters will be kept in security. Today, Marion works for an organisation called The Forgiveness Project. She tells her story in prisons and has written a book about her loss called If You Sit Very Still. I wonder if you might like to read something that Lucy wrote, because, of course, she was a poet. She was 16 when she wrote it. I just think, amazing, she's so succinct. Here's me rambling on. She said it in a few lines, but it's the same sort of sense of um, moving from a small self-centred place to a larger place that seems to be an important direction in life, I suppose. So she wrote, Things are as big as you make them. I can fill a whole body, a whole day of life, with worry about a few words on one scrap of paper. And yet, the same evening looking up can frame my fingers to fit the sky in my cupped hands. Next on the final part of Unheard, the Fred and Rose West tapes, what happened after the trial and the questions still left unanswered? Unheard, the Fred and Rose West tapes, was written and presented by Howard Soons. The producer was Paul Smith. The executive producer was Russell Finch. The mix engineer was Josh Gibbs. The title music was composed by Shani Aviram, with additional production from Steve Ackerman, Antonia Udunlami, Ben Maidley and Alice Lutchins. Unheard, the Fred and Rose West tapes, is a Something Else production. Also from something else. How did we get here? With Claudia Winkleman and Professor Tanya Byron. In these in-depth one-on-one therapy sessions, we dig deep into personal stories with fascinating and emotional revelations. A passionate, insightful and moving experience with clear outcomes to each episode. He is as anxious about attachment with you as you are with him. Oh, wow. That's crazy, isn't it? Oh, that's a weird feeling. Wait, so... Oh, God. Don't you just feel like, whoa, why didn't I know that all along? Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcast apps. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. 